0: Hello darlings, marketing queen here. I'm in the Windsor Guild Hall today and I'm joined by Jordan Evans who is the Windsor Guild Hall guru. He knows everything about Windsor Guild Hall, history, events, weddings. We're going to be talking more about that soon. And I'm also here with Rosie Scott Hair and Makeup who also is very involved in Windsor Guild Hall and especially when it comes to Brides and bridal parties needing their hair and makeup done. She's
1: yes, a- <laughs> she's
0: a preferred supplier. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, it's lovely to see you today, Avril. It's lovely <laughs> to see <laughs> you guys. <laughs> yeah. We're sitting here in
2: grandeur under a chandelier. Well, it's marketing Queen sat beneath a portrait of another queen, actually, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. Well, there's
0: another queen over there, too. Several queens, yeah. actually. <laughs> Surrounded by
2: them. Yeah.
1: Avril, <laughs> will we'll put up some pictures so that you can see what we're talking about. It's a very <laughs> fabulous venue right in the heart of Wintertown Centre. And we're very excited to talk to Jordan today because he is amazing. knows everything <laughs> about the Guildhall and everything that happens in the town. Well,
2: and if you could see me, I'm blushing right now, but... The Windsor Guildhall, I mean, it's a wonderful building and it's wonderful for you guys to come and join us today. It's the old Town Hall of Windsor. So it's 300 years old, built in 1689. I won't bore you with lots of dates, but it's fantastic because it's used for everything. We do a lot of weddings here, uh, as you can imagine. It's a beautiful building with lots of... We've got the Queen's Own chandeliers hanging above us and portraits yeah, of kings Right queens, above us. Literally, right, right above immediately us. above us. <laughs> and portraits of kings and queens over 500 years. And I think one of the most wonderful things about this building is that all these kings and queens that are on the walls around us today were mostly gifted to us by the person in the portrait. So we haven't just got a quick picture of Queen Victoria, it's actually given to us by Queen Victoria when she was on the throne. So there's a lovely personal touch with royalty here at the Guildhall. It
0: is. And by the way, you do your own amazing podcasts.
2: We do. You do. I've been listening
0: to quite a lot of them and you just talked about the queens and you mentioned one recently, Queen Anne. Was that the first? Did I get that wrong? Was that the first portrait gifted?
2: Um, almost. So it was just before her Queen, Willi- uh, Queen, Queen William... Queen William? Mar- <laughs> Queen Mary and her husband, King William. So, in fact, one of the things that people don't um, remember is that Windsor has had a very tumultuous history. It's had a very up-and-down period. And when the Windsor Guildhall was completed, England was actually in a very, very dangerous state of affairs. So the king had... King James the Second, he had just been booted off the throne for being a Catholic, and his daughter had taken the crown, Queen Mary, alongside King William. Now, everyone in Windsor was slightly worried by this because although they didn't like the king that came before James, he had spent a lot of money in the town, and there was a big fear that Mary and William were going to spend all their time in London and that they weren't going to come to Windsor and spend all their money and kind of keep the trades going. And of course, the town had literally just built this brand new building that we're sitting in today. Uh They'd spent a great deal of money and then they were worried that they were going to lose their fortunes. So they went to the royal court and basically begged the royal family for some sort of sign that the royals would continue to patronise the town of Windsor. And in response, William and Mary gifted their portraits to the town hall as a sign that they would continue to favour Windsor. And it started Mm. a tradition. So ever since William and Mary, their portraits are on the stairs as you come into the building. Ever since then... Every king and queen, upon ascending to the throne, donates their portrait to the Windsor Guildhall. It's a sign that they'll continue to favour the town, which is a really lovely tradition and and story and something that has been passed down through the centuries. So we were talking earlier on that point about how important it is for
0: the, the royals, the monarchy, to be supporting the town. Because we're sitting here in Windsor, Mm -hmm. and we're, what, six, seven months into the COVID situation? Yes,
1: the date today, if you want to know, is (laughs) Friday, September the 11th,
0: 2020. So, well, lockdown started in March around this time, didn't it? And, And I've been listening to Jordan's podcast as well, and I'm fascinated by the fact that everybody thinks, oh, Windsor's always been this fabulous town, very affluent, very, you know, wealthy, well-to-do, everyone's very successful. But like any town, Windsor has not always been like that. There have been ups and downs along the way. And what I was fascinated to learn was the fact that it's very important when a monarch supports a place and the wind, our Queen loves living here, but that hasn't always been the case. And it won't always be the case in future years, so you don't know what's going to happen. But I think it's amazing that the, the royals bring a lot of money and business into the town.
2: I mean, Windsor is a town that has been built on the back of the royal family, and, I mean, there's no getting away from it. I know not everyone loves the royal family, but there is no escaping the fact that Windsor and the whole area, Ascot, everywhere, yeah. is, is, is built on the back of that. I mean, what you do find in Windsor's story it first emerges as a town that is built purely for the purpose of supplying the castle and the royal family. And obviously there are various attempts to to get away from that. So in the Middle Ages, um, Windsor became a big centre for pilgrimage and they tried to use the church as a way of loosening their attachment to the crown. And of course that was ended by the Reformation, which smashed them. Um, and then you also get, I don't know if you've ever heard, but if you Google it, you'll know what I'm talking about, the Windsor chair. It's a particular style of chair mm-hmm. um, that was imported via Windsor in the 1700s. And again, it was an attempt by the town to not be so reliant on the royal household because there was always a fear that when the—you know if you've got a king that favours the town, then you do very well and you can sell all your wares to the royal household. When you've got a monarch that doesn't come to the town, that all dries up, and then what do you do? And I think the real low point for Windsor was definitely during the Civil War, um, or certainly when the King was executed and for the 10 years that Oliver Cromwell was in charge. There was nothing in Windsor. And you actually have records of the castle, which nowadays is this beautiful palace living in the town above us. The Windsor Castle was derelict. The homeless were living there, um, you know, as kind of, you know, making their homes into it. And one of the first things Charles II had to do was basically get rid of all the beggars and the vagabonds that had made a home in the castles so yeah, i've seen
0: pictures of that sort of old paintings where it was it was quite it was running rife with chickens and you know <laughs> yes. it, was, oh, yeah. it wasn't <laughs> <Just chickens. laughs> yeah. it, it didn't it didn't, have, it didn't have the barricades we have now the Absolutely gates not. it was gates just gates an open yeah yeah, and,
2: yeah completely <laughs> and and that's you know, It's hard to describe because, like you you mentioned so brilliantly earlier, that, you know, today Windsor is so affluent and all the properties in Windsor go for like a million Mm -hmm. pounds and it's such a a wealthy area. You just walk down the street and you see Porsches and Rolls Royces and everything else. But in the time of Oliver Cromwell, it was really low. Business had effectively evaporated. There was mass unemployment, mass starvation, literally in a time without a welfare state. It was a town which really suffered as a result of the monarchy going. Um, and it's also, of course, the reason why the monarchy became so popular. When Charles II came back, obviously he rebuilt mm-hmm. Windsor Castle. You can still see a lot of his kind of rooms today. And what that meant was builders came back and builders need food. So you need farmers yeah. and you need bakers and you need brewers. And you've got the royal court, so they need tailors and they need blacksmiths. And yeah. suddenly you've got all these industries that flood back. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, here in Windsor Guildhall, we're actually a key part of that because... The Windsor Guild Hall, I mean, I suppose the key's in the name, isn't it? It's a guild hall. It's a hall for the guild of the town. You're talking about a time when there isn't a local council, so you have basically a group of local business owners, and that is the town guild. So this building was created by the local guild, and they were building it basically because suddenly their fortunes had been revived by Charles II and the coming of the monarchy. They were so excited by it that suddenly they had more money than they ever had, and they had more status than they'd ever had before, and they wanted to show that off by building... A new town hall that everyone could take pride in and of course we're sitting in in the results of that that effort so yeah. but you can also see why of course this is would have been in the 1680s a few years later of course when james ii was overthrown and his daughter was spending all of her time in london you can see why there was that genuine fear because those people yeah. would have been alive at a time when windsor was flattened when there was literally nothing in the town suddenly they'd had this glorious burst of money being spent in the area And then there was a threat that all that would be taken away again
0: yeah so So we've had six seven months of everything being flat again not just windsor but has oliver cromwell come back
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah literally you would have thought (laughs) so and well but this is it i mean you really do get a sense nowadays of how people would have felt because for the first time windsor which is always such a busy popular town suddenly it's empty yeah suddenly, yes. suddenly so zero fun I mean yeah. things have
0: just started to open up again in the last few months but things are still quite quiet aren't they we're not getting the visitors from London to Windsor Castle which in in turn is affecting the pubs and the restaurants all and businesses. Yeah, and of all course all the businesses. tourist market you yes. know
2: there are so many beautiful hotels in the area and of course they make their money on people coming and staying and no one can come in from abroad and people aren't really coming from Britain and you know, yeah. it is affecting everyone. Yeah, and a lot so of people employed is. in the area by hotels mm-hmm. and, you know, by yes, that industry. there
0: are. So um, what I was going to say there was you were hosting a lot of weddings here in Windsor Guildhall. And that started to come back. So for obviously reasons nobody could do anything for months. And it's affected Rosie as well and hair and makeup. Yeah, the, yes, the, the wedding industry has been
1: hit hard by... All of the all of the restrictions so um, thank goodness people can still have smaller weddings and smaller wedding ceremonies up to 30 people at the moment because it is I'm, I'm getting personally more bookings and Jordan was saying earlier that you've you've had inquiries for weddings now and moving it, forward
2: it's a really interesting time actually because You know, the initial phase back in March, I mean, I'm sure it's exactly the same for you. Rosie was, you know, catastrophic for the wedding industry, for every industry. I mean, we Mm. all just shut down for the first time in history. Yeah. Um, You know, and and that was the way it was for a long time. And then obviously it came back and it's all been a very sort of, you know, uh, flexible as people are postponing and bringing back and postponing again. But it is very interesting because what we're noticing at the moment, people who... Perhaps don't want the big white wedding. They don't want mm. all the fuss and all the pretension that comes along with, you know, being the princess of the wedding. They are actually choosing now to get married because there isn't the pressure to sort of have the big white wedding. And you know, I, I suppose everyone knows when you get engaged, you're always feeling, oh, you need to invite your auntie Muriel and your uncle Robert, who you only see twice a year. But there's all the pressure to invite everyone, whereas actually now you can't. So people are choosing now as a time to to celebrate their love in a way that they actually want, really doesn't suit everyone of course and a lot of people you know have faced a lot of
0: anxiety
2: people that do want the big the big ceremony and they've of course had to postpone but it it is interesting to see that difference coming through. It might have helped
0: quite a lot of people who felt under an awful lot of pressure to have the big big wedding and and maybe budget doesn't always allow for that so and I actually think it's lovely that it's bringing uh, the wedding back to probably what it was uh, at other points in history where it was a family gathering and it was a really beautiful thing where the close family got together again. But you've been seeing quite a lot of that happening again. Well, and I, I
2: think, you know, obviously, you know, every, as we, as we always say, every couple is different and people want different things from the wedding. But I would certainly say that the weddings which are taking place at the moment, there is really something special about them. And I think, I know we were talking about this earlier, but... Because, because everything's so restrictive and because the world is quite frightening at the moment and everything's shut down and there mm. are restrictions on your ceremony, so at the moment obviously you can't have over 30 people in the room and unfortunately guests do have to wear face masks, so it's all quite daunting. But actually when you get into the ceremony and you watch the wedding take place, they are beautiful. You can really feel the emotion and I think because it's intimate, it's only the people that you love closest around you it's not a performance it's just the people that you care about Mm -hmm. and because of the restrictions people feel so happy that something beautiful is happening you know and they feel so joyous for the Mm. people that they love actually being able to get married and it's it's really a privilege to be part of and it's it's one of those moments where you think you know Covid has stopped a lot of things but it can't stop people falling in love and it can't stop people doing what they want to do which is getting married you know and and it's it is beautiful, and it's a privilege, really.
1: It is. So, Aval and I walked into the Guildhall today. We both know it really well, um, but we saw it, it's set up for a wedding at the moment. So there's there's thirty chairs, and they're all nicely it's, it's socially distanced. It actually looks really full and busy, even without people in the chairs, <laughs> um, because it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful venue, and it's such a special such a special venue you've had lots of weddings here Jordan's going to talk about a few of them so obviously we've had Prince Charles and Camilla but we've also had Elton John and David Furnish and they were the first ever same-sex wedding ceremony to happen In the UK, and it was here.
2: Well, almost. We narrowly missed out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, it should have been the first in the country ever. Um, But apparently there was another couple that... um, It was the very first day that same-sex marriage or civil partnerships were allowed in the UK. So in theory, it should have been the first ever one that Mm -hmm. was done here. We narrowly missed out because apparently there was another couple, and it's quite tragic. One of the partners was seriously ill, so they were given a dispensation from the Home Secretary to have it earlier. So Mm we just about missed out. Um, but it was, I mean, it was effectively the first ever civil partnership in the country. And we were very proud of that. And obviously, you know, obviously as an events person, I would naturally boast about the fact that we had Elton John marry here because, you know, it's quite a cool yes. thing to boast about, yes. especially now that Rocket Man's come out and everyone's keen on Elton John again. It's a great thing to <laughs> think to about. But I mean, even aside from the fact that it's a celebrity, I think it's great that from the beginning we were supportive of inclusion and supportive of gay people getting married. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think, you know... The wedding market is wonderful, but it can be quite... It's a horrible big word I'm about to use. It can be quite heteronormative. You know, it's always about... It oh, is a big word. Know, exactly. <laughs> but it can be very much about, you know, the bride and the groom, which is natural because, obviously, a lot of weddings are about the bride and the groom. You know, you've got wonderful brides and grooms getting married. But when you're, obviously, a gay person wanting to get married, sometimes it can be a little bit excluded and you feel like you're kind of intruding on sort of a, a, a market that doesn't necessarily speak to you. And I think... Obviously that is changing very quickly and a lot of venues, and of course everywhere generally does support gay marriage now, but I think it's lovely to be part of a, a, a venue that from the very day one said, this is something we want to be a part of, you know, and actually we want to celebrate love in all its forms, mm-hmm. you know, and you do, you know, um, there are of course still places that cause problems for gay people. It's not a huge issue in this country, thank you, you know, thank goodness, but it does happen and it's wonderful that even 15 years ago when it was a brand new thing off, hot off the press, we were like, yes, we're going to be part of this and we're going to support people because love is love. Couples are couples. Yeah. And love in all its forms should be celebrated. So, yes, it's great that it happened to be Elton John that day. But, I mean, it is obviously great that we were there from the beginning, regardless of who it was. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh,
0: well, you're super inclusive here in Binzer Guild Hall. Yes. And, and you said earlier you're looking at your marketing generally here as well so that you're presenting yeah that, to, the to... full... Picture for you know well, anyone you, who's looking to do get married.
2: that wide of audience yeah. definitely. I mean, of course, it helps that you know you know, obviously me personally I'm engaged at the moment, so it does <laughs> help. But I it's mean, very personal. I yeah. But I mean, you know, I, we did become very aware that. You know, a lot of wedding uh, marketing and packages, including our own, is very much geared towards that, you know, wonderful, you know, the princess package and the lovely bride and the groom and everything else. And of course, we're not, we're not going to get rid of that because, you know, I mean, every bride wants to feel like a princess on a wedding day. And again, we want to support that and make that wonderful. But for those people that are not that client mm-hmm. and for those people that are, for example, like two men getting married or transgendered people getting married or or two brides, you know, they perhaps don't want the same language, and you know yeah. the same talk about you know Princess and Lady and Duchess, which is all the language that we use and you know i 'm not criticizing anyone else here it's, it's our own sort of language, mm. but you know we realize that actually there's a whole world of people that we 're not really speaking to, and that that in itself, although we don't want to exclude anyone but by not having a marketing or a package that speaks directly to people, would they then feel excluded, or would they then feel that? They need to declare who they are or they need to sort of, they just feel like an outsider coming in and actually they should never feel like that because this is a venue that everyone is welcome in. You know, whoever you are, whoever you love, it's beautiful. Love is always a good thing and we want to celebrate that and we want you to feel comfortable with us from the moment that you see our website through to the moment that you get married.
0: It is a beautiful room, it is the place to get married in Windsor, it's very regal, very royal and very beautiful. And um, I was just going to ask you, Jordan, uh, what is the split of the types of age groups, demographics that are getting married in the Windsor Guild Hall?
2: Well, do you know, that's wonderfully put, actually, I mean, we're the sort of venue where we don't just appeal to one person, Like we appeal to quite a broad mixture of people. And funnily enough, we've been going through our demographics recently in terms of our marketing, and we mentioned, obviously, celebrating love in all its forms. And we I mentioned same-sex weddings, now that's probably about 20% of our business. Obviously, we've also then got, you know, your your normal princess wedding that is wanting the the big white day. That's again probably a good 30% of our business would be would be her. And then there's another 30%, which I actually think is probably one of the most undervalued unnecessarily in the wedding market, and that's the older bride. You know, we get a lot here, being a, a sort of civil registry building, of people who are perhaps having their second wedding. Or who are getting married later in life, who've got maybe kids or grandkids. Sometimes we even get some wonderful ones where it's like really elderly people who've got their grandkids giving them away and you get oh. some really beautiful ceremonies where it's, where it's people in their later life still finding love and, again, still celebrating it. Um, and that's a good 30% of our business. So, you know, we probably have just as many people who are at a different stage in life as we do the first time getting married on the big white, white, white wedding. So, yes, uh, you know, exactly. and again, I think it's something that we really feel is underrepresented in the wedding market. We feel that we want to push it a lot more and we want to speak to people on their level and just say, you know, actually, you know, don't be a reluctant bride. Because yes, you might not be 20 getting married for the first time, but actually your wedding's still special. Even if it's, you know, the third time round or you're in your 80s or, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Your love is still important and actually worth celebrating.
1: Mm, I feel exactly the same way because my business with weddings, everyone assumes that it is mainly the 20 to 30 year olds, um, with themselves obviously in hair and makeup as brides. Um, and it's all young people, first time getting married, and that's it. No, my, my business is split across so many different age groups and circumstances. And I get a lot of mature brides, and it's really lovely because you, it could be, you know. It, it, maybe they've been divorced or maybe they've been widowed. It's, it's all different circumstances. And it's. Such, I love hearing about their stories, everyone's story, no matter what age they are when they're getting married, I always ask, you know, well, how did you meet? Da, da, da. And I usually get floored completely by the mature brides because they've had such experiences and their stories are usually so amazing about how why they're getting married when they're 60. Usually you know? far
2: more romantic, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> There's always a wonderful story behind and
1: it. And it's like, wow and I her go wow that's amazing you just hear this, this this whole life history of what has happened and why they're getting married now and it just makes it just makes my heart sing it's lovely <laughs> it's it's beautiful and and I've had a lot of mature brides who've been getting married at the guild hall um and it's just it's just really lovely I'm a Windsor I, I live in Windsor and I love I love the town and I love being involved in all the weddings here um, so yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. The, the, people assume that a wedding is bride and groom in the 20s, and it's not always the case.
2: And do you find that, because I find quite often when I do viewings and, and show people around who are kind of generally mature or brides, or perhaps, as I say, not, it's not the first time, you know, quite often you get this almost reluctance, and they sort of, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I've done it all before, so I just want something really small and simple. And when you actually then start talking to them about what they actually want, they still want something really elegant and really lovely. Yeah. quite specific about and what they want. Yeah, exactly. And I think quite often, because a lot of the imagery is always the 20 to 30 year olds looking gorgeous, that if you're not a 20 to 30 year old looking gorgeous, you feel almost like you can't be part of that club. But actually, yeah. again, a big part of my job is to say, we'll still be excited because yes. it's still a great day and it's still just a special, and you're still gonna look stunning. Because I know Rosie's gonna do your hair and makeup and you're gonna look <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but there, it's it and it's lovely. It is lovely, and the, the wedding industry in particular is lovely. There's lots of um suppliers. And I, Jordan and I chat all the time. I'm I'm preferred supplier here, and it, but it's lovely. We're all like a little club, and we got um um flowers and photography and everything in our in our little gang. The dream. our little guild hall <laughs> yeah. gang. And yeah. and it's lovely because we all help each other. We all support
2: each and other. And we all love the same people. I, mean, I think it's always wonderful because every now and then you'll get a, well I mean quite often you get a client who you just you just love. You know, you just sh- I'll show them around and I just think they are so nice. Like I just love working with these people. And the next time I talk to Rosie or Abby or Natalie it's like, Oh yeah, did you speak to so and so? Aren't they lovely? And it's like, yeah they are <laughs> I and mean, but I think it's always wonderful because you've got that you know, we work with lots of different suppliers, obviously yourself as the hair and makeup artist Rosie, but we work with, you know, different flower companies and and, and photographers. And you just know that there is that love in the industry and you know Mm. that all the suppliers are kind of really, they're doing the job because they care. And I I don't think you can work in this sort of industry if you don't care about people and if you're not a people person. Like, you know, we want the best for you and we want you to feel special because it is a special day. What I always find is people who, perhaps they want like a really small ceremony particularly at the moment during covid they come in and they say oh i don't want any fuss and i'm you know and they i don't want it to be sort of anything special they're keeping it very very simple and then the wedding actually comes and they are always Mm -hmm. the people who are the most romantic and the most sort of in tears at the altar because it's because actually a wedding is always special and you know you can't say those vows to someone you love without feeling moved And I think that's something that I'll always cherish in this job, is just seeing that in all its forms, in all its places, from the 20-year-olds to the 80-year-olds. It's always beautiful.
0: Yeah. So how have things changed for you working with your, your bridal parties then, since
2: COVID hit? Well, I mean, they're extremely different now. I mean, I think... What people have kind of figured out at the moment... I mean, obviously, rules change all the time with COVID. And I think anyone who does want... Because, I mean, it sounds like I'm quite critical of the Big White Wedding. I'm really not. They're really fun to work in. And as I say, they're, that's 30% of our business. So mm. they're, they're great fun. And I think anyone who wants that... You know, I want that myself don't get married this year because it's just you know you're not you're gonna have too much anxiety there's too much uncertainty so if you want the big day with like a hundred guests and all the the sort of the fuss that goes along with it that's really fun but do it next year so what I find at the moment is that we're getting a lot less obviously of, of that type of pride and a lot more people who don't really want the big wedding they want it to be small they want it to be simple um, they still wanted to be special um, and we still kind of obviously want to make sure that mm-hmm. the room looks spectacular and that it feels special. There's a nice atmosphere, a relaxed atmosphere but it is different. I mean, it's a lot less, um, I suppose, orchestrated. You know, there isn't a sort of, you know, get everyone into one place and then get them out and on to the next thing because mm. everything's moving much slower now with COVID and the ceremonies that are happening tends to be like the ceremony with us and then perhaps a small meal in the hotel mm-hmm. across the road. So it's a much more kind of relaxed affair and intimate affair at the moment. I was thinking about that actually because you do packages in, in,
1: in the old normal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, where you you, you you do lots of events here not just weddings but with with some of the with the weddings you've been doing sort of canapes afterwards and champagne and that's all stopped for the moment hasn't it?
2: Well it has and I mean to be honest we, we, we lost a lot So there was a lot of clients who for example had booked to have like a dinner with us or to have the champagne reception afterwards mm-hmm. and that particularly in, in the early stages say when we were first allowed to do weddings that pretty much dropped off because people could do it, and there is too much worry. And we weren't, to be quite honest, we weren't sure if we could deliver mm-hmm. that safely. Um, and of course, safety is always mm-hmm. with everyone, is our priority. So we had to sort of scale it back. We are actually reintroducing it from October. Um, okay. And in fact, what we have found is that because one of the legal restrictions is that you have to wear a face mask in your ceremony. Mm-hmm. but obviously you don't have to wear a face mask in a reception and lots of people want photos in this building yeah. and of course we're saying if you have just a ceremony with us unfortunately as the law stands you have to wear a face mask but if you're able to have and it doesn't have to be expensive but if you can book on just that extra half hour and have a glass of champagne afterwards that's classed as a reception and you can then have your group then photos done photo. yeah. yeah. so we've been able to kind of offer that Obviously, it's not for everyone. Some people don't like it, and that's wonderful too. But for those people that do like it, and we've kept it sort of as as cheap as possible because we know that weddings are are sort of an endless void of payments. But, uh, you know, we've kept it sort of relatively affordable, and and it's just a nice option for those that do want to stay behind and enjoy the... But
0: it's a lovely thing thing. to be able to do, to have a, a little toast after the ceremony. So I think that's lovely you brought that back.
2: And in fairness, I mean, even before COVID, I do actually recommend it because... I think one of the things that people always find on their actual ceremony is the ceremony itself isn't very long it's about 20 minutes mm-hmm. and when you're rushing off to your next thing you kind of you don't really take that time naturally to kind of appreciate what has actually just happened and yes. where you are and to just really feel that moment and I think when you stop and have just like a little glass of champagne afterwards as I say, it doesn't even have to be long. You feel the love of
0: everyone who's feel the there. Yeah. You
2: do. And, and for you as a couple, to sort of actually stop for a moment before you rush off and do everything else and do the big party, yeah. appreciate the fact you've just got married. That's yeah. cool. You know, that's wonderful. And yeah. actually enjoy that.
1: Bask in that moment. Yes. Just a little bit longer. Because yeah. yeah, that happens a lot. Um, I, I do find, at some of my weddings, so I'm, I'm obviously busy all morning. Hairmaker, hairmaker, maker. Hair maker and then the bride gets ready, I'm putting in earrings, the dress goes on, Da da da. They are out of the room, they're married. Sometimes it can take me 20 minutes to pack my bag up at the end. And I walk out and they're just coming out from being married.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it's like, wow, that went quickly. All that, yes, all that. All that and the ceremony sweat. is yeah. actually very, very, when it's a civil ceremony, it's very fast. Well, it is. It can be half, half an hour if it's if that really quick. Quick one, because we're on a busy, busy wedding day. The registrars themselves have probably five weddings in one day. They're very, very quick. So they are strict for time. You do not, you are not late for the registrar's wedding. <laughs> yes. You won't get married. <laughs> <The regularly>. Registrar's <laughs> wedding. Yeah,
2: it's the rule of the registrar on a wedding day. Yeah. but I mean, well, and actually, I think a lot of people in their heads. Um, I think we all kind of grew up with this idea of a church wedding and church weddings are generally much longer because you obviously have all the kind of various different prayers that are said and hymns that are sung so mm-hmm. they tend to be like a full hour so people assume that's how long it takes for a wedding but of course the reality is when you're not in a religious ceremony it doesn't it takes no. about 20 minutes can take longer if you have a few readings but it's not very yeah, long yeah. and in a way that's actually a wonderful thing I think it's always brilliant when you've got particularly if you've got young kids 'Cause I find if they have to sit in a church for an hour, it gets oh, really awkward and they yeah. can be a bit embarrassed and whatever. When you're in a several ceremony like this, first of all, we're very laid back, so the kids can do what they please and run around and enjoy themselves, it's their day too. But but also it's twenty minutes, they've only got to sit still for twenty minutes. Yeah. You know, and for the exactly. brides and grooms, if you're really nervous, it's fine, it's not gonna be that long. You're just gonna say some words, have a giggle, yeah, have a kiss, and then your husband and wife.
1: So that's why I was that's why it's a lovely idea that you can have a, a glass of champagne with all of your guests here yes, after the ceremony because that, that's an
2: extra half hour where you can
1: literally all just go woohoo <laughs> yeah, 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 you it. know, yeah. rushing on moment off, to yeah celebrate yeah. And that's lovely and congratulate the happy couple and, and have yeah. that photo
2: with your parents yeah. and, and just take that moment I mean obviously most people as well generally have fewer people at the actual ceremony as to what they would have like coming later in the evening in the party so in a way it's quite nice to just have that moment of intimacy with that chosen few that have come to your ceremony it's it's just lovely it's really lovely and
0: we're in such strange times that to have also those photographs with your entire bridal party wearing masks is is almost like it's, it's a moment in history in itself and you know, you see those pictures... I've seen some pictures of going way back to the Spanish flu. And it's very hard to find pictures from that era. Mm. And you see families wearing Nothing really has changed, hasn't <laughs> it? They're <Yeah>. all still <laughs> wearing masks. <laughs> yeah. and masks. Yeah. And technology 18, moves on, yeah. yeah. 102
2: years later. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to have...
0: Bridal pictures where mass
1: is
2: very well, it's very of the moment and they will never forget, will they? Well, and to be honest, I I think actually you can have a lot of fun with it and, you know, obviously there are some brides, I'm sure there'll be people listening now that are thinking, absolutely not for me at all, and that's fair enough. I want 150 (laughs) people at my
1: wedding, so I'll wait. Definitely, and and
2: that's fair enough, you know, if that's the wedding you've dreamt of, then you want to have that, do it, you know, and that's fine. But you know, if you are willing to have that smaller and that unusual ceremony, you can have great fun. And you know, actually, even you've just got to look on our sort of hashtag on Instagram. You can see people that have you know got everyone in the same face mask that blends in with their wedding colours, or they've got oh, Mister and Mrs brilliant. face mm-hmm. masks, and they've you know they've gone and had a bit of fun with it. Because, like you say, it is a moment in history. You know, and yes, it, they are it photos is. that will they'll stay as quite important photos yeah, for everyone. Iconic photos. They really will. They'll yeah. they'll capture the age. So. I think yeah. it's quite interesting to do if you if you're that sort of way inclined yeah. <laughs> to do it. Yeah. I, I wondered, will it
0: change the whole format of weddings as well, because Rosie and I've talked about this a lot in terms of those people who do really want to get married now could have the smaller ceremony and might have a big party next year. yeah so it yeah. might end up splitting the whole
2: format over a year? Well, I wonder whether it will, because especially (coughs) because there are a lot of people who I think want a small wedding. They like having big parties, they like having everyone there, but they actually want a small ceremony. But of course, as we all know, that generally doesn't happen because quite often, I mean, I'm probably one of those people, I love the idea of a small ceremony, but I've got a huge family, my partner's got a big family, and so once you even just add the basics, you end up having a huge affair. But I do wonder whether perhaps people will start getting into the habit of doing a small wedding, yeah. And then just doing a big party. I've, I've got I one, know. actually.
1: I've got a bride getting married in October. She was meant to get married in May. Right. And, of course, everything has, has stopped. So she contacted me and said, actually, we're still... This was before they allowed 30 people at a ceremony. She'd messaged me and said, we're still doing it. We're going ahead in October, that date that we'd rearranged to. Um, but we're going to have... Um, Small amount of people and a little drink afterwards, and that's it. We're having a big party next year. Ooh. Two days later, Boris announced that you can have 30 people <laughs> oh, to a ceremony. No, I messaged her and said, What are you going to do? She said, Should... We're still going ahead with this October, and we're still going to have a big party next year as well. I was like, Good for you, brilliant, because yeah. you get to have two celebrations. It's just that the first celebration that was going to be very small can now be that bit bigger, yeah. And you can actually have a meal with your friends and family, yes. And then have a big party next year. So yeah. there's all
0: different. Lengths. I know. So it might change things amazingly. Exactly,
1: it, but you don't. We don't just have weddings here at the no, Guildhall, do we? Sure. Yes. Yes. What Avril is the marketing queen. Is absolutely
0: dying to put on an event here, aren't you? Yes, I think it's perfect for a fabulous corporate dinner or a small gala when we can have more people together again um but you could have a socially distanced dinner with you know smaller groups of people at different tables so what are, what, what, sort of, what else can you do? Almost definitely.
2: I mean, one of the wonderful things about the Guildhall, we've always said, is that it's a blank canvas. It's a very gold, glittery blank canvas, but it's a blank canvas and you can do anything with it. And it's got the space. It's not a cold room, it's very cosy, but it has got the space to socially distance. So, for example, when, obviously, corporate dinners, I mean, I know there's not a great deal happening at the moment, but as they start to come back, mm-hmm. this is a great place to do it because you can socially distance... You get a really royal experience here because you are under chandeliers, around all portraits. We've also got the terrace outside, so the pillared area underneath the guild hall that is a private area, we can rope it off. And that makes for a beautiful place to have cocktails, have a drink, have a glass of Prosecco, overlooking the church steeple in the town. It's absolutely mm. stunning there in the evenings. Um, and again, has the space to socially distance, so you can still kind of start to get back to normality whilst kind of enjoying yourself and then having enjoying these splendorous mm. surroundings yeah. yeah it's very exclusive place to be you can't just come in here you can't just walk yeah. in and I, you know and in a way it, it kind of almost makes it I mean I won't sort of really try and compete with the castle but I mean you know even the castle like it's somewhere that no one it's a hidden gem no one really knows about it you can you can walk past and see it on the street but not many people actually come within the council chamber itself and it does have such a unique history you know it is where the queen celebrated her 90th birthday in Windsor so you know it has that sort of strong connection with the family but but it's it's a very relaxed place to be and I think that's what I always reiterate to people as well I think People often assume that the Guildhall is going to be a very stuffy place where we're going to tell everyone exactly what they Mm. need to do and how much they need to spend and all this kind of stuff. We very much take our lead from our clients and, you know, whatever event people are planning, so some people like drinks, receptions, and they like dinners, and they like to be be quite formal. Other people have done sort of escape room activities here and made it very informal, and Mm. other people have done know, birger and prosecco and had a very sort of casual um, affair to it. Whatever people are looking for, generally we can do it. You know, the Mm space is at your disposal. And, you know, we kind of generally, we won't say no, we'll say how. And I think that's very much our approach.
0: Yeah. No, you're very flexible as well. But when this room is dressed for a dinner, it looks like a state
2: banquet. It looks fantastic. It does look pretty pretty wonderful, doesn't it? And of course, we're sitting in these beautiful, again, you won't see them on the podcast, but these beautiful wooden carved chairs um, we're actually being overlooked by the throne. We have a mayoral throne in Windsor. I don't know why a mayor needs a throne, but we have one. <laughs> People can use. I mean, it, it is somewhere that's quite spectacular. I think over the years, I mean, as I say, the Guildhall has always been kind of in the shadow of the royal family and always kind of um, had a lot of affiliations with the royal family. The mayor generally will still be invited up to yeah. Windsor if there's a state banquet in Windsor Castle. So I think there's always been that attempt on the part of the local council to kind of emulate that, that history and that sort of town story. So, I mean, it is a stunning room. And when it's set up and you've got the kind of big gold candelabra, the flower displays, these chairs, obviously. I mean, it really does look special. Like, you could easily imagine the Queen walking in and joining you. you know? yeah. Well, I say that. I mean, we have done dinners here yeah. for the Duke of Edinburgh, for the Earl of Wessex, for the Prince's Royal, so... <laughs> special <laughs> you know,
0: place, I say yeah. you could
2: imagine it. Sometimes you don't need to imagine I it. Know. You can, <laughs> you can, can see it. we book you but...
0: for some... Historical motivational speaking as well, then. Oh, you, Jordan, always book yeah. me for that.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, again, we do offer these wonderful. I think quite often, where we, particularly pre-COVID, we're a very popular spot for people who are not from the area. So, if you're doing a business gathering and you've got guests that are coming, particularly if they're coming from abroad, but even if they're just coming from you know other parts of the country, if you're trying to sort of showcase the area, this is a wonderful place to do it because it really captures Windsor. In a nutshell you know you 've got these glorious royal pictures you 're overlooking the town you 've got the chandeliers you know and so and we do try to give people whatever sort of um, uh, feeling that they want from the air event so we do do historical talks if people want them, and again, they can change depending on what sort of crowd you 've got so when sometimes we 've got very serious crowds that are You know kind of quite avant-garde and in which case we'll do like a curatorial talk and we'll have someone in come very formally talking about the history of the building and the portraits and the importance of the town other times you've got people that are they perhaps enjoy a bit of history but they're not obviously wanting a full curatorial talk so then we can get the town crier and he'll come in with lots of little tidbits and jokes and kind of it's very fun and sort of makes a few games out of it so you know the style and the ethos of your evening is is completely down to to you as a as a client essentially brilliant exactly what you
0: want yes well you know so much you're very you're a font of historical (laughs) knowledge yes well i'm enjoying your podcast (laughs) we haven't explained jordan that you you
1: you studied history that's your thing that's why you're
0: (laughs)
2: absolutely
1: perfect for this venue
2: well in fact my 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 background is a a weird mix which does suit the guilt really because my background is history i have a master's in history that's my my geeky subjects that I absolutely love, um, and then I worked in Holyrood Palace for a year, where I was a tour guide essentially. So I used to show people around, you know, the Mary Queen of Scots apartments and the bloodstains on the floor and all that sort of, uh, you know, fun and oh, fun wow. and war and everything up in Edinburgh. <laughs> and then I did that for a summer. And by the time the summer was coming to a close, um, I also needed to look for a new job. I went to apply for that one permanently, and when I was applying for that job, I saw a job advertised as a footman mm-hmm. in Buckingham Palace. Oh. And I thought, Whoa. what on earth is that? Wow. You know, I could just sort of Downton Abbey, and I thought, what? Really? <laughs> Cinderella. So I put an application in, and I thought, this is just a joke, like, obviously, because I thought, I've, you know, I've done a bit of hotel work before, but nothing serious, so I thought, this is clearly going to give us a be laugh. Me out of it. And I didn't hear anything for weeks, so I just thought, okay, there we are, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Next thing I know, I got a phone call saying, hello, this is Buckingham Palace. And I was just like, what? (laughs) And I was invited down for an interview day. So I went down for this interview day. And it was a long day. And it was very much, there was a big group of you and you had to go through and do all these activities. And then every time you finished an activity, people were being sent home. So it's really like you're in The oh, Apprentice, you know, people were literally... didn't being, pass, you're right. And yeah, and so of course we were getting smaller and smaller as a group and I was still there at the end and I thought, oh gosh, but there was a few people I was working with that I was thinking, these guys are way above me, so there's no way I'm going to get this. And I finished and, and you know, there we are and obviously they don't give you the answer straight away, but I thought, what a great day because I got to go inside Buckingham Palace and, you know, or oh, only the yeah. servants area, but it was a bit of, bit of fun. And again, weeks went by, I didn't hear anything. And the next thing I know, I had a phone call saying, oh, you've got the job. Would you like to come and move to Buckingham Palace? (laughs) 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 And so that's what I did. So before Uh I was in the Guildhall, I was, yeah, I spent a few years working in Buckingham Palace as a footman for the Queen. Must have been very interesting. It was the most fascinating thing I've ever done. And I mean, you know, a lot of work. I mean, the same with any job. You have the glamorous bits and you have the less glamorous bits. And The Mm. job was hard work. You know, you are, for those, I suppose most people don't know what a footman does, but I mean, you know, footmen do everything, really. What
0: do footmen do, then?
2: They do a bit of everything. So they are, they're responsible for obviously doing all the table settings, so they've got to set up for lunches and dinners, and that sounds really simple, but obviously you might have 250 people coming for the King of Spain's visit, so you've Mm -hmm. got to get the table set up perfectly, and that's when you've got your traditional footman there with your stick measuring everything onto the table. Um, and I tell you what, that is scary when you do that, because when you finish, the Queen will come round and she checks. I've and if something's she personally yeah, checks. She yeah. does personally check. And if something's not right, she'll, she'll flag it. Not in a rude way, but she will flag it. So you know it's got to be perfect. And you also do, I mean, there is a great deal of sort of doing coffees, trays and meetings for the various, I mean, again, you, you work for the royal family, but there is also various people that you have to look after as well. Um, you have to obviously set up the meals and there could be sort of, you know, the Earl of Wessex in one room having lunch and you've got to do that, and then there's the Queen in her apartments, and you know, because they all eat necessarily at different times if they've got a schedule of events going mm. on. Um and then obviously you have to deliver the, the 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 meals, you deliver drinks receptions. There's normally well, of course there won't be at the moment, but they would usually be a good sort of three or four receptions in a week because obviously they all patronise various different charities and things like that. So obviously you deliver those and do the setup and the decan.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean there's a
2: huge amount of work involved but the most magical moments is when you go on holiday with them because you go to Balmoral and you go to Sandringham Mm. um, or come here to Windsor of course on the weekends and I think that's lovely because when you're in London you do work with the royals, you see the royals but I mean they're working, you're working it's all very busy so you're kind of you know it's what do you need here we are yes. and that's kind of how it is whereas when you're on holiday of course they're on holiday and, and the whole atmosphere is very relaxed you do a mm. bit of balloting as well so you have to kind of do lots of ironing and, and pressing and making sure everyone looks their best ready for the dinner with the queen uh-huh. um, but it's, it's fun you know and they're on holiday so you know it's yeah, a it's bit just
0: more relaxed yeah. and
2: yeah. jokey and it's it's really quite special and you have some really special memories from that's those points It's an amazing experience absolutely
0: But you have some stories <laughs> would not, oh no, would not uh, say well, I certainly <laughs> yes. couldn't say everything you no. see. <laughs> and I tell you what, it
2: is is—it is quite a fascinating <laughs> quite a fascinating place to be. But uh, I tell you what, though, the most ama- the one thing I can say, because yeah, like, there is a lot that you need to keep to yourself, but I remember I was setting up a room for valeting. And you have to, basically, when you're valeting, you have to um, lay out an outfit for someone, because a lot of the guests that are invited to go and stay with the Queen... Um, they might not necessarily be used to that sort of royal setup, so they take their lead from you as the, the member of staff so mm-hmm. you'd go and lay out an outfit for them and that's what they know they have to wear for the meal and I had to move an armchair slightly so that I could put another chair in for, by next to the desk to lay the shirt out on and mm-hmm. I literally moved this armchair a fraction of an inch mm-hmm. to the left and again the queen she'll go around before the guests arrive she goes around to all the rooms to just make sure that everything's ship shaped that it's clean that it's tidy and everything else and she looked at me and she looked at the armchair, and she looked back at me, and she said, that's moved. And that's I incredible. And I just, my jaw dropped, because I'd literally moved it, like, half an inch to the left, and I was just sort of like, oh, yes, Your Majesty, well, I need it for valeting. And she went, oh, right, well, make sure it's put back. <laughs> and I thought, how did she know? She like, how really? did she know? I would never, and, you know, she doesn't exactly stay. It's not like it's in her main living room. This is one of the guest yeah. rooms, but she knew. I'd moved it half an inch, and she, she knew. She knew. It was, oh, I just, my mind was boggled, but
0: there a remark on the car but where it moved. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that gave it away. No, honestly, she's,
2: she's a remarkable woman. And as I say, I mean, one of the lovely things about them when you're on holiday with them is that, you know, yes, you're working, but there is a lot of jokes and there's a lot of fun. And I think there's always two sides, particularly with the Queen. There is two sides to the Queen. And there is one which we all see on Telly. She's a very duty-bound woman, and she is duty-bound. I mean... I have to say, the sheer amount of work that that woman does is scary. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I never appreciated it until I actually went there and worked and saw the sheer level of paperwork which goes through her door, the level of meetings that she's constantly in. Like, it's a lot of work. I
0: bet it
2: is. And when you're in London, or when you're entertaining publicly, there is a sense from the Queen that... Everything has to go well because your Britain's on show. So sometimes you've got ambassadors coming through or foreign dignitaries, and you know that they're judging Britain by the standards that you present. So everything has to go really well. And the Queen feels that herself, and she very much makes sure we're up to the mark because of it. Um, but then there's the other side of the Queen that people don't often see, and that really is the, the fun-loving, really wonderful woman that is, you know, very caring and very sort of family focused, but also just hilarious you know the, the whole family are wonderful to work for you know they're they're mm. all you know they're in their own personalities and they've all got mm-hmm. their own eccentricities but they're they're a wonderful family. like any
0: family like yeah. any family you know <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of those things with the royals isn't it because you know Everyone who has ever worked with them, or you know, you watch these documentaries, and of course, everyone goes, Oh, they're just like us. And we all go, Oh, wow, they're just like us. And of course, they're mm-hmm. just like us because they're human beings. Mm-hmm. But we're also surprised when we realize how yeah. ordinary they are. But, but at the same time, um, they're not just like
0: us. They have all sorts of pressures we don't have.
2: Well, yeah. true. But then also, I suppose, I yeah. would, you know, I mean, I know they are, of course, very privileged, but then they also have pressures that we would never yes. know. So, yeah, you know, yes. this is. Obviously, you know, you could never play the, the pity violin too much yeah. because they do live in wonderful splendour, but they do have a lot of pressures and they do they have do. a lot of work. And I remember the um, someone once quoted The Queen. I mean, that wasn't something I heard personally. It was something that someone had quoted her as saying, but they'd asked her sort of how you do it, live this life that, you know, is kind of constantly in the public glare and, you, you know, you put a toe out of line and everyone's scathing and everything. And how do you do it? And I think her response was always quite sad because she said, well, once you accept that your life is no longer your own, then you can do it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: And I think that kind of probably sums up the Royal family. Like, you know, they, they are wonderful people, but the pressures they face, I mean, and it's something that probably you can't appreciate unless you're in that situation, but actually you can't live your own life. Yeah, no.
0: they live in a very public fishbowl in a way, yeah. yeah. And the only know. private time they have is behind... The walls of Windsor Castle, <laughs> yes. you,
2: know, you know, which is why, of course, they guard their privacy yes. so so much because you know, and it, it's it is these rare moments, and I think there's nothing worse than you do occasionally get these stories from people that have met them personally and then gone and untold all, and you know, you've got Paul Burrell with his book on Diana, yeah. yeah. You know, I think there's something really horrible about that because one thing that's drilled into you from the moment you start is you're trusted they don't even know you like from the moment you start they have no idea who you are or where you come from but they will instantly trust you and they'll have conversations about various things and they, they don't mind that you're listening because they trust you that it's not going to go any further And I think there's something about that and I think that's something that when you work there you feel you need to make sure that you do earn that trust and you know yes you can talk to people and you can talk about how lovely they are and you can sort of mention the things that are generally public knowledge anyway but you do need to remember that they are a normal family you know you do see them on days when they're not at their best and you do see them at times when you know you wouldn't see them on tv behaving that way perhaps but you know they're human beings and you know you're privileged to be part of that life and they trust you and therefore you need to to reciprocate them
1: yeah yeah. Well, we've all very much enjoyed watching The Crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's true or uh, real to life or not yeah. or embellished, That's it's a, look a dramatisation Looking at the end forward of the
0: day.
2: to the next one. I mean, I will just say, so a lot of people obviously have said to me and my partner and everyone, you know, like, oh, did we watch The Crown? Like, is it true? And I think, well, I wasn't working for them in the 50s, so I've <laughs> actually no idea. You know? uh, <laughs> I'm sure The Queen was quite different when she was 20 to so when she's yes. 93, <laughs> but yeah. That's
0: a good answer. Well, that was fascinating. We learnt so much today. Thank you very much, Jordan. We learnt a lot about you as well and Windsor Guildhall. We had a lovely chat. Yes, I very much yeah. enjoyed it. It's lovely to see you Thank face you. to face.
2: Yes. No. We haven't
1: seen you since March.
2: it has been a long time, hasn't it? And we're all yes. socially distanced in we case are anyone's wondering. Yes, you know, nice are, to meet you yes. away. But honestly, it's been a pleasure to see you both once again.
0: Aww. Oh, a pleasure to meet you too. And where can people find you? If they want to host an event or a wedding at Windsor Guildhall. Well,
2: they can always find us at the easiest URL is tickets.windsor.gov.uk forward slash guildhall. Or, of course, follow us on Instagram. yes Yes. and every
0: other social media media. and people must listen to your podcast as well Windsor Guildhall podcast I've got (laughs) to
1: say I didn't say this earlier one of my favourite podcasts was the one about Charles II oh yes (laughs) Yes. because I watch Horrible History I tried to watch a few bits Horrible History it's a very childish programme but I love it and there's a brilliant rap but well, they say Ollie wasn't jolly. <laughs> um, but he... Prince Charles was the king who brought back partying, so he's my favourite king. Absolutely, <laughs> yes.
2: parties, women, wine—he's the Guildhall monarch, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. So everybody,
1: listen to that podcast yeah. and all the others
0: because they're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and hopefully, we'll bring you some more fun from the Guildhall soon. Thank you very much. Thank Lovely you. to see you. <laughs>